0: Welcome to the Two Cities Podcast, a podcast about theology, culture, and discipleship. And this is episode 212. In this episode, we're talking about ecological trauma with Dr. Tim Middleton. Dr. Tim Middleton is a tutorial fellow in theology and the new director for the Center for Baptist Studies at Regents Park College at Oxford. Team members on the episode from the two cities include Dr. John Anthony Dunn and me, Dr. Madison Pierce. So John, we have some really interesting material in this conversation, and it certainly introduced me to a lot of different things that I hadn't considered before. What were some of the takeaways that you had?
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Middleton. In particular, I was um, struck by thinking about Christology in the way that he um, kept bringing up and thinking uh, about Christology as a resource for how to think about ecological trauma. um, and, And especially this idea of like, Christ as 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 an embodied right the kind of enduring humanity of Christ this this as an embodied person who bears witness to trauma. I just I thought that was really fascinating and I thought there was a lot related to Christology that we were able to kind of unpack a little bit together that I just found really fascinating because it's not something I quite brought into this conversation about creation care certainly not in the way that um, Dr. Middleton does so I really enjoyed that.
0: Yeah, I really appreciated the way that he talked about the metaphorical representation of the earth and how that intersects with trauma theology. I've, of course, considered the anthropomorphic language that we apply to the earth and, and things like that. But to think about how that gives us this sort of impetus to be more attentive and especially how that intersects with ecological concerns and trauma, was just really fascinating for me. So I really appreciated it. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. Also, if you appreciate what we do here at The Two Cities, please consider joining our Patreon community to support our work and receive bonus content. Look for us on Patreon, follow us on X, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at our website at thetwocities.com. And with that, here's our conversation with Dr. Tim Middleton. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Great to be here. Thank you.
0: We are really excited to talk to you today about ecological trauma. Um, I, I think that this is a really sort of special area. So introduce us. What is ecological trauma and tell us a little bit about your work?
2: Sure. Yeah. So ecological trauma is a is an interesting, potentially slightly difficult category. Um, and what I guess I'm trying to do in my work when I use the phrase ecological trauma um, is to bring together two relatively new subdisciplines in theology. Um, so on the one hand, eco-theology, and on the other hand, trauma theology. And I'm seeking to start a conversation between the two of them. And so I suppose the subject I'm then interested in is ecological trauma. Uh, but that still begs a lot of questions as to what exactly we mean by that. Um, and I think it can mean different things. So, I mean, off the top of my head, there are three ways you could take it. Um, one would be about trauma that human beings suffer as a result of environmental and ecological destruction, either now or anticipated in the future. Um, a second one would be the possibility that various other species can experience trauma. Uh, and a third one would be a wider use of the term uh, to refer to climate change or ecological destruction in general, whereby the trauma is envisaged envisaged on some sort of planetary scale. Um, and that's, I mean, that can be meant literally um, or it can be meant metaphorically. And in my work I, I go down the metaphorical route, but there are kind of people who do both. So so yeah, lots of different ways you could define it right from the off. Um, and yeah, as I say, I take that sort of last route looking at the planetary scale, um, but using using the word trauma um, as a metaphor. Mm.
0: Could you say a little bit more about that? Um, you know, why, why have you taken that approach in particular?
2: Yeah. I mean, so I suppose some of the people who work on things like Gaia theory or panpsychism would be very open to a more literal application of trauma to the earth. Um, and in some senses, I'm open to that too. Um, but I'm worried that it might be hard to bring people with me on that. Um, some of the people who I'm hoping will take an interest in this topic, um, might not be readily persuaded that the earth is conscious or the earth has a soul. Um, so I do go the metaphorical route in my own work. Um, but with a, with a very sort of high understanding of what metaphor is about. Um, so, so there might be this concern that it's quite anthropomorphic to uh, project onto the earth this capacity that we normally think of as human, i.e. an ability to suffer from trauma. Um, But I actually think it's a really important thing to do. Uh We, the only way in which we um can begin to relate to the earth in, in ways that I think are appropriate and easily understandable is by giving it some human characteristics. So, so I see anthropomorphism as a really helpful way of relating to the earth um, rather than
0: kind of unhelpful
2: projection
0: if that makes sense Mm, yeah it cultivates empathy and things like that yeah and paul you know paul uses
1: the language of all creation groaning in romans 8 so in a sense you know it's part of the christian tradition to do so
2: well exactly yeah i think i think there's quite a lot of examples within the christian tradition so i mean yeah you start in scripture with the groaning of creation, uh, even in the Hebrew Bible, um, in the Psalms and the prophets, there's all sorts of moments when the earth mourns mm. or the trees clap their hands or um, in the gospels, the stones cry out. There's all these examples of kind of anthropomorphism that might get written off as kind of just metaphor. And I suppose I, I take them a little bit more seriously than that. And that gives a bit of grounds for the sort of thing I then want to do when talking about um, the earth is traumatized. And then kind of going much more recently, you get someone like Pope Francis talking about the cry of the earth. And again, again, I think he means it in in quite a kind of, it's a metaphor, but in quite a strong way um, and, and is open to thinking in those terms.
1: And in a sort of non-metaphorical way, you mentioned that there is a sort of route of investigation along these lines that um, looks at, whether other species are experiencing trauma, I I gather that that's not the the route that you're terribly invested in, but could you maybe tell us a little bit more about that and what kind of research um, has been done in that in that vein?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, the the book that immediately comes to mind is a book called uh, "Elephants on the Edge" uh, by Gabe Bradshaw, and the really interesting thing that she did was she took down a list of symptoms from uh, patients. Uh, she circulated them to a load of trauma experts. The experts all came back and said, yeah, this is a classic case of PTSD. Um, and then she said, oh, by the way, the patient was an elephant. Um, and mm-hmm. they're like, oh, wow. Okay. So she kind of did this blind test. Um, and the elephants in question had suffered, um, various traumas in a kind of zoo context. Um, and, and things have been done with other species, um, particularly those species which we, um, associate with greater levels of kind of sentience, um, and, and that sort of work is very closely connected with the animal rights movement. And I think is very interesting and very valid. The the only reason I don't pursue it in my own work is because I'm particularly interested in phenomena like climate change, um, and and it operating on on a different scale. Um, but it, but even within that, I think I think it's a case that other species could be traumatized by climate change you know they're, they're kind of caught up in it too but but i just i just didn't feel it was a kind of helpful route to kind of push that edge of sentience um all the way to talking about the earth uh, as sentient
0: yeah thank you so much tim that makes a lot i mean it makes sense but it's also really fascinating um so i have a lot to learn there thinking about this intersection of trauma theology or you know broader trauma theories it strikes me that um you think about general kind of trauma theories about how trauma affects the body that um there raises a question for me about a more kind of metaphorical application of that to the earth so i guess could you tease out a little bit you know um if the How how do you see this metaphor kind of mapping on to the earth? And then also, I mean, do you want to fill in a little bit about maybe what trauma theories you have found particularly helpful or resources or something like that?
2: Yeah, I mean, so I I take my starting point from um, both Shelley Rambo's work in trauma theology uh, and also Karen O'Donnell. And they both use uh, a framework of three ruptures for characterizing what trauma is about. Uh, and those ruptures are a rupture to flesh, a rupture to time, and a rupture to kind of language or communication, something like that. Um, and those are the three kind of destabilizations that that um, occur in most instances of trauma. Um, and so then mapping them onto, say, the earth as a whole is interesting because, in some in some sense, it is quite literal, and in other sense, it's more metaphorical. So, in, in actual fact, I, I started out as a geologist, and it would be very ordinary for yeah. a geologist to talk about the body of the earth. That's you know, and they don't even really realize necessarily that that's sort of a metaphor when when you're using it as a geologist. Um, and so, the body of the earth can be. Uh, and again, I'm sort of using these phrases in inverted commas, but it can be scarred. It can be wounded by mining activities, by deforestation, by pollution spill. All of these things leave very real, physical, tangible marks on the earth. Um, so in that sense, they're, they're not metaphorical at all. But then to kind of see them through the lens of trauma, I think, um, you're starting to get into the metaphor. Um, so that's, that's in terms of the rupture of flesh. The two other ruptures I mentioned, I think possibly the most interesting one is the rupture of time. So in human cases, uh, the rupture of time involves um, things like um, the persistence of the suffering, the way in which it um, recurs, the way in which um, uh, survivors will experience flashbacks Um and and the fact that there isn't a neat linear timeline of healing or solution to that it's more complicated um temporarily speaking so 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 if that's what occurs with human human victims um, of trauma the interesting thing uh that you can talk about in relation to the earth i think is this idea that we are now in what's called the anthropocene there's a new time period uh and that new time period marks a point um, that there's no going back. It's an irreversible change. Some of the damage that we're causing now in the Anthropocene, um, we will be stuck with. It's ongoing, it persists, um, and it's irreversible. Um, and so that mapping um, of, yeah, that that kind of shock uh, to what's going on with, with time um, can be mapped, I think, onto some of what we see um, when scientists are talking about the Anthropocene. Um, with the communication, it's a little bit more complicated because it depends what you mean by communication. And again, people might not be comfortable with the idea that the Earth communicates, or at least not in a way that human beings would ordinarily um, think about. Uh, but there there are, I mean, so um people who work on Gaia theory, James Lovelock, for example, has a book called The Revenge of Gaia. Um, there are yeah. people who think that the way in which the earth is now behaving under the stresses that humans have applied are, in a sense, a, f- a form of signal, a form of communication, um, that's indicating to us that something, something is there. But that, that's, that's, uh, that's a very difficult, uh, communication, um, that's, and, and it's not getting through to human beings. There's a breakdown in the communication, um, again, like, like in, um, other cases of trauma. And I think one, one thing I, I would also want to add to all of this is that there is perhaps a danger, I think, and a very, um, a very real danger that, uh, we use the word trauma too loosely and too widely. And there's a fear that that might be somehow inappropriate. Um, and I really hear that concern. And so I, I really want to stress that when when you make these kind of metaphorical mappings, it's a slightly different use of the word trauma. Um, and you're not meaning any disrespect um, to those kind of medical diagnoses of trauma um, in human beings. And that, and, and that those kind of two traumas needn't be in competition with each other, um, particularly in the public space. So I'm aware that it's sort of sensitive when you kind of expand the use of the word trauma like this.
0: So, uh, Tim, thank you so much. That, that's really interesting. And, um, and I do appreciate your sensitivity to, um, to those who have experienced, uh, capital T trauma, um, you know, as opposed to what is often referred to as little, little T trauma. Um, and I, we don't, you don't necessarily have to answer this, but I am kind of wondering, um, you know, there is this kind of, uh, question as to whether the severity of the trauma that Earth experiences in terms of like the ecological crisis that we're, we're experiencing that in, it in some ways does merit a word that's strong like trauma. And, um, and I, so I'm, I'm, I'm just cognizant of, of that. Um, but, but yes, as you say, like want to be sensitive to survivors who have experienced that in more concrete and really horrifying ways. Um, my question, though, is, um, this, some of the work that you've done is bringing the idea of the Anthropocene into conversations of Christology. And I'd really love to, to have you sort of expand some of that for our listeners to, um, sort of to talk about the, the problems raised by, uh, the intersections of the, the, but yeah, say this. Say this. Well, the the problems of the Anthropocene era, with the idea that we have a human uh, savior who comes.
2: Oh wow, there's lots to unpack there, and and lots of uh, um, dots to join up, perhaps. So, yeah, maybe I maybe I can say a little bit about how I've begun to draw that connection. So, the first thing to say is I really like the work of those trauma theologians who've thought about how to respond appropriately, uh, theologically, to instances of trauma. And again, I'm thinking of particularly of someone like Shelley Rambo, where the answer is some sort of witnessing, an act of bearing witness as being the most appropriate response to trauma, at least in the first instance. And Rambo, in her work, talks a lot about pneumatology. And for her, the spirit is a witness uh to what's going on even during the crucifixion for example um the spirit is there as the witness and what i what i then do is uh, make a slight shift from pneumatology to christology um and this this is informed but again by someone else's work uh, preston hill has written a bit about this mm. and he he talks about again when we're operating in this theological arena Talking about Christ as a witness has advantages um, because Christ has a very tangible body in a way that unfortunately the spirit has not in the Christian tradition. I mean, that that can be debated a little bit, but the spirit has more ethereal connotations. Um, and and Preston is particularly keen to emphasise that the witness um, has this extra power if it's somehow an embodied witness, an enfleshed witness, um, which Christ very clearly is, and um, so I, I like all of that work um, that's going on. And so the connection that I then try to make is if Christ operating as a witness is appropriate as a response to trauma. Uh, and and someone else like Serene Jones has written about this, where um, she writes about um, Christ on the cross, Christ's cruciform um, as bearing witness to some horrendous traumas um, that human beings have suffered. Um, my suggestion is just then well, maybe we could also think about Christ as bearing witness to those traumas that are occurring in a non human context. Um, so to bring it back to the Anthropocene, maybe Christ somehow bears witness um, to the damage and devastation and trauma that goes on in the Anthropocene. And and one particular motif that I, I think is particularly helpful. Um, and again, this is drawing on the work of those other trauma theologians, but they, they've they written a lot about um, the persistence of the scars or potentially the wounds. That's another debate on Christ's resurrection and ascension body. Um, so the idea there is that even on the other side of the resurrection, there are still ongoing marks of the trauma that Christ underwent at the crucifixion um and there's a very neat parallel there i think with the way in which geologists talk about um the mark that will be left in the rock record during the anthropocene there'll be all sorts of really bizarre fossils um that will forevermore uh, bear witness to the damage that we're doing in the current era so whether that's plastic or concrete or levels of um, co2 or radioactive signatures all of those marks will be left on the body of the earth. a little bit like those marks are left on the body of christ um so i hope that makes some sense as to how i begin to draw a connection there yeah
1: that's very fascinating i mean we did a series on disability uh recently um last year even where we explored some of these things where we talked about you know the. The paradigm of, of Jesus's resurrection as being applicable, you know, to to people more broadly as we think about the nature of the resurrection, uh, and and not not just sort of like this is a kind of one off, only applies to Jesus, um, and we did not consider the implications that this might have for how we think about like the earth's resurrection, for example, or you know these sorts of things. So that's a really fascinating uh, thought, and I, I really like the idea of resourcing Christology, specifically, when we think about what the Bible and the Christian tradition has to offer for how we think about the Anthropocene. um, I find that really fascinating. And I'm wondering if you could um, reflect on it a bit more in the light of the fact that Paul at least calls Jesus the second Adam and thinking about how we often want to resource, um, you know, the image of God and, and kind of the implications of stewarding creation. Well, which of course has been, you know, resourced in horrible ways, literally to think of the world as just a bunch of resources for us to accumulate for our own sort of gain. Right. Uh, and sort of to exploit, um, and being more like tyrants rather than like, you know, beneficent rulers, uh, that I think is sort of, implied in the image of God but i'm just wondering if you could extend this christological sort of resourcing further in the light of uh, paul's language at least of jesus being the second adam.
2: Yeah that's that's really helpful. So one of the other things uh that trauma theologians are often concerned about is when christology is plotted out on a linear trajectory um as if, you know, you have incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, all sorted. Um, and when that linear tele- teleology is then mapped onto a process of trauma healing, it just doesn't fit, right? Because that's not the process of trauma healing. Um, it's not linear. Um, it's recursive and repetitive. Um, and so, yeah, what you say about Christ as the second Adam, uh, is really interesting because in some of my work, I've been prompted to go back and look at a kind of recapitulative idea of Christology, um, just to bring in that slightly different temporality whereby Christ is going and revisiting and returning um to Adam um, things that are wrong, things that are traumatic. Um, and it's it creates that different sense of time um, that I think is really helpful. Um if you are going to, for example, bear witness to trauma, as I was saying a moment ago, uh, so exactly that, that recapitulation, I think is uh, a really interesting way of thinking about Christology within a slightly different framework. And I suppose, I mean, there's, um there's a concern, perhaps that you might get stuck in a kind of endless circle. Um, So I suppose the best kind of way of thinking about it is a kind of helical repetition you you return to it but there is also the possibility of change within that
1: yeah thanks for that i find that really um helpful and and fascinating and I, and i am curious too you know given the ways that we have deployed some of these uh, biblical texts to, to point to the compatibility, for example, of thinking about like creation care and our kind of like ecological concern, um, as, as, as Christians, I, you know, I, I, sometimes in light of this conversation, wonder about maybe some of the kind of lowercase T traumatic effects of thinking about the Bible, um, in this conversation. Cause for a lot of people, the Bible is, uh, a source of, some of our really bad ecological, um, sort of dispositions towards creation, right? It's all gonna burn, you know, God's, God's gonna create a new, a new world anyways, you know, um, you know, these sorts of things, or, you know, that's not in the Bible. I don't care about that. Or, you know, God told us to, you know, to be fruitful and multiply and subdue creation, you know, and, and there's, in in many respects we have yeah we've deployed it in we've deployed the Bible in horrible ways relative to um yeah our stewardship of the earth so I'd be I'd be curious to hear more about how the Bible can can somewhat uh, perpetuate trauma in this space
2: oh yeah and one of the things that I've uh felt a bit of a concern about for quite a while now is the way in which people um who are concerned about the environment or ecotheology always leap to Genesis. It's always the language of dominion and subduing, and there's some interesting work to be done there. Uh, but for me, it's actually not the most place interesting place in scripture to start from. <laughs> there, there are lots of other parts of scripture that I think can be used interestingly in the eco-theology conversation, and that, as you say, are perhaps ultimately less damaging ways of thinking about the natural world. And so I mentioned before the, the Psalms and the prophets where there's the opportunity to lament and grieve for the damage done to the earth. That's just one, one place you can start. But there's, a, um, a brilliant, uh, commentary series called the Earth Bible commentary series that's slowly producing a commentary on each book of the Bible. And there's some really wonderful stuff in, in that commentary series where basically you can start anywhere, uh, within scripture, um, and start reading it with an eye on ecology. Uh, so, I mean, so one other thing that I was reading recently was uh, the commentary uh, uh, by Elaine Wainwright on Matthew's Gospel, um, and she talks about the kind of ecological dimensions of the crucifixion as reported in Matthew's Gospel, particularly the earthquake that Matthew reports. Uh, and there's there's loads of interesting work that could be done there, and you can kind of leap off from any point within Scripture. Um, and perhaps find some new ways of thinking about Earth the environment the natural world uh that are less the less damaging and and perpetuate less damaging ways of living on the earth
1: mm, I'd love to hear more about that that earthquake because of course one of the things that happens in Matthew's gospel uniquely is you have all this all these dead people uh you know, uh, walking around, uh, after that. And, and I've, I've, I've loved the idea of thinking about like this kind of momentary, uh, lapse in death's grip on the planet or something like that. And I'm just curious, I'd love to hear more reflections on that.
2: I mean, I should say very quickly here that I'm, I'm no biblical scholar, so I'm unlikely to be an expert, but the, one of the, um, There's six so-called eco-justice principles behind the hermeneutical approach in the Earth Bible commentary series. And one of those six principles is essentially to always listen for the voice of the Earth. So again, using this anthropomorphic language. um, So what Wainwright is doing there is listening out for the voice of the Earth, and or perhaps the earthquake is the voice of the Earth at that particular moment.
0: That's really helpful, Tim. And I actually just picked up the um, Earth Bible commentary on Hebrews, which is what I usually work on. Um, and I, I haven't had a chance to interact with it, but it was um, something I was really excited about grabbing. So uh, I'm all the more excited now. Um, speaking of, you know, Matthew and then me thinking about like where in Hebrews would, you know, it'd be the most interesting to kind of turn first. And thinking of like Hebrews 12 with like the shaking of the heavens and the earth and um, it raises for me a question that is a slightly beyond your normal work, I think, but, but I think is related. So you feel free to tell me this is too pesky. Um, but I'd love to hear some of how your work does intersect with eschatology and some of what John mentioned about um, the sort of expectations of what will be for the earth. But really, I mean, like, um, is there a reconciliation? in um, a healing of, of this trauma that, that can be anticipated and and what do we see in the meantime?
2: Yeah, uh, the short answer is uh, that's the next project. Um, so I, I don't right. think I've, I don't think I've done enough of the thinking on eschatology just yet. Uh, but something I alluded to earlier, I think a lot depends on quite a lot hinges on whether you talk about wounds or scars. Um, mm. on, for example, the resurrection body of Christ, um, a wound implying some sort of ongoing trauma in the redeemed state, a scar just being a reminder and a marker of the trauma, but it doesn't continue to be suffered, um, in the redeemed state. And I, I'm sort of open to both. And I've seen people talk and write about both, uh, in relation to, uh, trauma in all sorts of contexts not just uh environmental and ecological trauma uh and and the other the other sort of part of this discussion i think is yeah how do you talk about hope uh in this context um and is ultimately all of this stuff about coping with ecological trauma just a slightly depressing fatalistic vision where, where does the hope come in and i think i think you do have to Talk quite carefully about hope. You don't want a cheap hope. Uh, you want what people have called, um, a dark hope or a melancholic hope or hope without optimism or a realistic hope or a tragic hope. There are all these kind of adjectives people are adding, um, to try and think about what comes after the trauma in a very kind of grounded and realistic way that really takes seriously the symptoms. Um, and experiences of trauma and one of the key components of that uh, is imagination Uh, this is this is Shelley Rambo again and she points uh, particularly to a work called Radical Hope by Jonathan Lear um, which is all about hope relying on imagination so it's not an expectation that things will get better or that things will be sorted out uh, but there's always the possibility to imagine something better Um, so yeah, so that's, that's a, that's a slight, uh, diversion from eschatology per se, but I feel that's kind of important to bring into the discussion. Um, and yeah, as I say, the next project is thinking a little bit about, uh, eschatology in relation to what geologists call deep time, as in the very long-term future of the planet. Um, and in a sense, they're two separate discourses that are quite hard to put together. Um, so if you like, the, the long-term future of the planet is sort of, on a horizontal timeline and quite a lot of eschatology operates vertically, you know, it, it intersects with that. Um, but I really want to try and bring that conversation together. Um, but I haven't done the work yet. I'm afraid.
0: Thank you, Tim. That's really helpful. And, um, it does make me think about just definitions of hope and, um, how in some ways I don't, You know, I think you're right that usually hope is intended to be this very positive thing. But I, I, you know, I'm struck that it is much more biblical to think of it as a a sort of divided like hope because there is darkness and hope in light of darkness and difficulty and things like that. So I just appreciate the way that you framed that. Going back a little bit to think about um, your work on Christology and the anthropocene and things like that. I would be really curious to hear you reflect a little bit on how these conversations have affected your your theological anthropology or or maybe it doesn't feel like it's shifted as much but um are there ways that this intersects with the way that you would think about what humanity is and what it's for.
2: Yeah, and I think this goes back as well to the earlier question about um dominion and stewardship. And I think I think what this offers is a slightly parallel role for human beings. I wouldn't, I wouldn't deny, um, what's said about the responsibilities of human beings in relation to care for the earth. Um, and in some ways, all of this, all of this feels to me like a little bit of a secondary conversation. If, if you're, if you're talking to Christians, to theologians about the environment, about climate change, uh, the stuff I'm working on is not the first thing you say to them, right? Because actually, there's a really urgent situation, and we need to do something about it. So talking about care for creation, about stewardship is absolutely the first point of call. But I do think uh, for quite a few folk, there is then a sort of step two. And that step two is realizing there's some things that it's too late to change. There's some damage that's already been done. And there's a lot of frustration with uh the kind of political um, barriers that are preventing further action. Um And what do you say to Christians and to theologians who are wrestling with that kind of second set of questions? Um, And that's where I think, yeah, the role of humanity, the theological anthropology, if you like, is a little bit different. And I do think we have a role, again, biblically inspired to grieve and to lament um a, f- a friend of mine uh has just written a phd on um theological anthropology and climate grief um Hannah Malcolm and her work is brilliant so she's able to say an awful lot more about this and she's uh, she's uh, got an edited book called words for a dying world um which is full of uh, kind of contributions along these sorts of lines uh so i think i think it is that recognition that there are some things that are beyond human control, um, beyond us as stewards of creation. Um, and we perhaps need the humility, but our role in that instance, uh, is to grieve. And that, that's again, that's, that's a role modeled by Christ, you know, bringing it right back to that central moment of the crucifixion. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's, that's our role sometimes.
0: So I'm, I'm curious how you would, Um, Or how God relates to humanity distinctly from the earth, or if you would want to maybe minimize the distinction in those relationships, because I think you're amplifying God's care for creation and, and, uh, you know, simultaneously amplifying the net, the, what should be care from humans for creation, but where does that put the sort of triangle you know god's relationship with humanity versus or um in distinction from god's relationship with the earth
2: yeah so i think quite a lot of eco theologians um are nervous about keeping human beings too separate um so mm. the big kind of concern is that um, maybe some of the ways in which Christian theology has been damaging is by being too anthropocentric, by separating humans off from the rest of creation to have an independent relationship with God. Um And for a long time, I was very convinced and I was very um concerned whenever anyone mentioned anything that looks a little bit too anthropocentric. And so I, you know, I had a lot of questions about the Imago Dei, for example, and whether or not that could be pushed beyond the human Um I've sort of changed my mind a little bit on some of that in as much as instead of, instead of conceiving it as, well, human beings are separate because they're more important. I, I see human beings as slightly separate because they have a greater responsibility because they've evidently caused more of the damage. And, and that's a fact I'm very happy with. And so in that sense alone, I think perhaps you can talk about a somewhat unique role for humanity. Because of the weight of that responsibility, the things we've done historically already. Um, and, it, mm-hmm. and you need to be careful that, you know, not all humans are equally responsible either. That's, that's an important point to make. But, um, so in that sense, I do see a slightly separate role and I am, and I am more comfortable with a sort of limited form of anthropocentrism in that respect. Um, and so they're therefore a slightly different God-given role within within the created order.
1: With this uh, conversation about um, eschatology as it relates to ecology, um, one of the things that comes to mind is the the language of, you know, sort of in the eschaton, God being all in all right um uh, which of course is you know could be taken in a couple of different ways but as it relates to god's relationship to creation you know in the end um do you, have, do you have any thoughts or reflections on on that sort of language of god being all in all the sort of the telos for everything
2: yeah it does make me think actually of a kind of another strand of christology that i draw on sometimes in some of my work which is uh, deep incarnation Christology. So this is associated with um, Niels Gregersen in particular, a Danish theologian. In the early 2000s, he coined this phrase uh, to talk about um, a much more expansive sense of what incarnation might be about. Uh, so recognising quite simple facts about uh, Jesus Christ being materially and biologically and socially connected to the wider fabric of the universe. Um, And in that, that's what he means by deep. Um, And, and you can take deep incarnation at many levels. um, And some of the more radical people would would say, you know, Christ incarnate in everything, um, actually, in a not dissimilar way to some of the much earlier logos Christologies in the tradition. Um, And there's, there's an edited, uh, volume, uh, by Gregerson on this. Um, and that phrase, God will be all in all crops up a lot in this, in this edited volume. And actually, um, Jürgen Moltmann is one of the contributors to that volume. Um, and he says, yeah, I like, I like this deep incarnation. I, I do think, uh, I do think it's a good idea. But it's only completed in the eschaton. It's only in the eschaton that God will be all in all. Um, it's not, it's not quite yet. It's kind of in process at the moment. So incarnation is deep, but it's, it's deepening and it's, it's only completed, uh, the eschaton.
1: Does this have anything to do with the work of, um, Pierre, um, Thielhard de Chardin?
2: A little bit, I suppose. Yeah. It's, it's not dissimilar. Yeah. In terms of that, uh, expansive sense of what incarnation is about but it's it's framed in very kind of contemporary scientific terms um so yeah it picks up evolution in the same way that Théa de chardin does um but is also picking up kind of modern cosmology that sort of thing and using using the language of um atoms and molecules uh when talking about the incarnation of christ hmm.
1: fascinating Well, Tim, thanks uh, so much for, for all of this. Um, You know, as we've been talking and exploring kind of the Christological uh, dimensions of the work that you've been doing and, and thinking about scripture and, and um, the, the, the ec- the ecology of it all and the trauma of it all um t- would just uh love to hear more as we kind of bring this conversation to a close to hear more about where this comes from personally for you um how did you kind of get into this and 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 what uh really spurred you on to um to explore uh trauma and ecology in these sorts of ways relative to uh the christian tradition yeah that's great so
2: as I say, I started out as a scientist, um, and I made this relatively large shift over into theology. Um, And as a scientist, quite a lot of my work was on earthquakes. So when I first made the move, the question I would always get would be about earthquakes and natural evil. Why would God allow earthquakes? So I spent quite a lot of time in the natural theodicy literature, um trying to think, you know, justify the existence of god in the face of the fact that we have all these terrible earthquakes and i must admit i i found it relatively frustrating i don't i don't think um all theodicy is bad but it wasn't at least personally providing me with the sorts of answers i needed or or the answers that i would be able to convincingly pass on to other people and i think the kind of fairly rapidly growing literature in anti theodicy is aware of some of those concerns and the way in which um some of those theodicies don't always have the survivor in mind for example and and that can be problematic um so it was actually during my masters uh, my supervisor just said oh that's interesting have you read shelly rambo and and that's where it all started so i i discovered this whole parallel discourse of trauma theology that seeks to approach all these age old questions of suffering in a very different way, um, drawing on different parts of the tradition and, and putting it together, um, not not to provide answers in the same way, but to provide strategies for coping, um, and a sense of solidarity, um, and and motifs, um, whether they be pneumatological, Christological, etc that can be drawn on in those moments of, of trauma uh so yeah so that that's that's kind of where it came from and then and then and then the idea to apply it in a non-human context
0: thank you so much tim really appreciate that reflection and i hope our listeners will enjoy learning from you and be spurred towards more faithful stewardship of our stir earth or mother earth
2: another great anthropomorphism yeah <laughs>